everybody, and welcome to a very special season wrap-up for our 11th season of Yeah, We Read It. My name's Laura. I'm one of the hosts. My name is Meggie, and I'm the other host. And we have a very special guest joining us today, uh, the, the writer of this entire season, Karen M. McManus, is joining us. Hi, Karen. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you? Ah, I'm I'm doing very good. I I'm very excited that you're here. I know Maggie is also very excited that uh, you're here. <laughs> oh yeah, so excited. I mean, like Laura said earlier, we've loved your books. Yeah. I told um a couple of friends too that you were going to be on. It was so funny. I ran into one last week, and I was like, "We're doing this series," and she was like, "Is that the one with the with the peanut allergy?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it is the help <laughs> series that we're doing." So really excited to have you here. We're big fans. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. Um, so I guess, Meg, do you want to kick things off or should I kick things off? Yeah. So we're obviously here today talking about your One of Us is Lying series. We've been covering it the whole season. And I think we just kind of wanted to know, first off, like, where did you come up with the idea for the now trilogy? Yeah, so this was back in 2015, and I, I think I know the exact date because I tweeted about it. I, I think it was September 15th, but um, I was driving to work, mm-hmm. and I was listening to the radio, and at the time, I was a querying author, you know, and I had just started querying a second book, which was going to go nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of looking for something new to write, and um, the theme song from The Breakfast Club came yeah. on. And I'm an eight, 80s kid. I love that song. I turned it up and I started thinking about how that narrative construct of bringing people together who seem like they have nothing in common, but once they interact, they realize they're not so different after all. That's just evergreen. And I thought it could be fun to do a little bit of an uptape but with a dark twist. And the phrase, The Breakfast Club with Murder, popped into my head. And I'm driving along and thinking, okay, but how would you kill someone in detention and not have anyone know that you did it? And I thought of a way. And then I thought, okay, but why would you do it? Mm-hmm. And that's when the characters started to come to me. And at that point, I park, you know, I go into my office, I work all day long. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about these characters and I'm starting to name them and I'm starting to outline in my head. So by the time I got home, I was ready to start writing. Awesome. I love that so much. Yeah, no, the first thing I think I noticed is when I opened up like the first page of the book, it was like, Bronwyn's the the brains and Addie's the beauty. And I was like, this does have a very breakfast club vibe mm-hmm. to it. So that's awesome that that's kind of what inspired you. Um, yeah. And even getting back a little bit, I know you said you were when you came up with the idea, you had just uh, queried a book and you were working on a second one. So I'd love to hear more about um, how you got into writing and did you always know you wanted to write YA or were you kind of uh, forging a different path? Yeah, you know, it's 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 a long <laughs> tale. I'll just give you the highlights. <laughs> I did always want to write. Um, yeah. That was the first thing I ever remember wanting to be. When I was eight years old, I wrote my first story and I told everyone I'm going to be an author. That's what I'm going to be. But I didn't get a lot of support (laughs) to do that. Most people told me it wasn't a practical idea. I would never make any money. Um, And also, as I got older and tried to write more complicated things, it got hard. And I didn't know how to make it not hard. And I just figured, everyone's right. This is not for me. I'm not going to do it. Um, And I went to college for something else. And I had different kind of jobs. And I just did lots of things. um, And honestly, almost never thought about writing. 
Um, and this is like, you know, the sad portion of the story. Um, when my son was three, my husband passed away and he was very young. And of course, that's a very devastating thing. And one of the things I thought about a lot was all the things that he didn't get to do. And so I thought like, well, what are things that I always wanted to do and, and didn't do? I should probably do them. And I thought, well, I wanted to write a book. But at that point, like I was not writing a book. I could barely get out yeah. of bed. So I was just like, yeah, sure. I'll write a book someday. <laughs> and then it was probably a good five years later, you know, it's just a different place, a better mm -hmm. place mentally. I was on a business trip and I was in an airport and I wanted to get something to read and I picked up the Hunger Games. So I had sort of heard about it, but I didn't really know what it was. And I got obsessed on that plane ride and I was inspired mm -hmm. for the first time in a long time to try writing something. And I got an idea. It was a very, in retrospect, bad dystopian knockoff of the hunger games but the important thing is it did make me write again you know for the first time since i was a teenager myself so i wrote that book queried it because i didn't know how bad it was learned a lot through that process wrote a second book that was better but not quite good enough um and then i got the idea for one of us is lying and the nice thing was this was a good idea and I'm glad I didn't get it first because I would not have had the skills to execute mm -hmm. it. It's a really yeah. good, like mature way of looking at the writing process too. Cause I think a lot of writers yeah. like myself included, you want mm -hmm. that big, good thing first. And sometimes you have to go through the mud to like get to, you know, the diamond and the rough. Um, and I did see in another interview that you did say you were kind of writing these books amiss, not only, in lieu of like your husband passing, but you had two other jobs too. I think it was um, copywriting and something else. Um, I was, yeah, I was a director of marketing. Um, uh, so I did that full time and it was a really um, intense job because I was managing yeah. an international team and there were people yeah. in Europe and people in Asia and people on the West Coast and people on the East Coast. So it was just like meetings all the time. Yeah. Um, and then of course I'm a single mom. So I'm, you know, my son was pretty young at the time when I started writing, he was about eight. So I'm managing his life and all his sports and making sure he's fed. And mm -hmm. so I could never really write anything until about nine or 10 o'clock at, at night usually. Mm -hmm. And then I would write till like 12 or one and I'll go to bed and I'll get up at six 30 and I do it all over again. So I just really did not sleep yeah. hardly at wow. all <laughs> from about like 2015 through probably 2018 when I um, finally left my day job. Wow. Yeah. That is a uh, dedication and such a grind. Oh my goodness. Yeah. How did you like manage doing that? Was it just like a compulsion to the point of like, you were like, I just, I have to write, I have to get it out. Mm -hmm. That made Yeah. I mean, that was it. It was fun. Mm -hmm. even though it was really hard work. I really loved doing it. And, you know, it's funny because obviously when we start out, we, nobody is paying us to do this. Yeah. We have no idea yeah. if anyone's ever going to pay us to do it. You know, mm -hmm. you're doing it because you love it and it's mm -hmm. fun. And I had found a great community of fellow writers and I knew I was getting better. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my craft was improving. I was understanding the industry more. Mm -hmm. I was better able to execute. And so there was, I could feel progress, even though, it wasn't, you know, progress anyone else could see. I thought, okay, this is, this is definitely advancing. So mm -hmm. I do feel motivated, even though nothing's really happening professionally for me yet. Yeah, yes. I love that. That's like, I think that's such a good lesson too. like the creative process, 
in, in whatever vein you're looking at it, because I feel like it can get so easy to be like, this is too hard. This isn't going as fast as I want it to. So to have that sort of patience and finding the motivation where you can is such a good, I think, lesson to any creative that is out there. So I, I'm so happy to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like for me, you know, maybe because I started later in life and I'd mm-hmm. done lots of other jobs. Um, but I had a pretty thick skin about my work. Mm-hmm. And I, when I realized it wasn't working, I'm just like, you know what? you're going on the shelf. I'm not going to spend any more time with you. Um, And I remember listening to this agent one time who was talking about like, here's why, you know, you're not getting query responses. And I was like, not getting any. So I thought, okay, I'm going to find out how to make my query better. And she said, maybe you need to write a better book. And I was like, oh, what? No, this is the best I can do. Um, But then I thought about it and I was like, no, she's right. This book is not good enough. And that was the moment I just decided I was done with that first yeah. book and I was going to move on. So it's like a little bit of a ruthlessness, you know, yeah. with your own work. It's like, I'm not overly attached to this. I'm, if it's not going anywhere, I'm going to move on. Yeah. yeah. Cause like, um, I think you get to a point too, where you start self-editing so much that it's like yeah. a snake eating its own tail and you're like, I'm Oh yeah. yeah. My head. And you don't know, like, am I making this better or am I just making it different? That's the yeah. hardest part when you don't have someone to guide you. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you spend so much time on something, you can get to a point where hearing any sort of critique can just be like the, but I put so much work into it. What do you mean? It's not good enough. And then to have that ability to step away and be like, maybe it isn't that good. Maybe maybe (laughs) it's just like a fun thing for me to do is is really important. It's a really important skill to be able to have that like, okay, outside perspective of this. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It definitely helps, you know, it, it made things move along more quickly than they would have if I would kept trying to make yeah. it work. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good thing you went through the whole process because now we have the One of Us is Lying series, which I mean, you do a really good job of yeah. being very concise um, and interweaving a lot of different point of views together in the first book. And then you add more characters in the second and then they all kind of come together in the third. And so I guess, when did you decide you wanted to focus on more than one character? And how did you kind of manage to flesh them out into having their own little niches? It was always going to be four characters. That was the idea I had. And, and I very much wanted to stick with that, you know, archetype, but let's peel the layers and see what they're really like as the mystery unfolds. So I always knew it was going to be four. I always knew they were going to, on the surface, appear to be certain types Um, but beyond that, I spent a lot of time initially on their voices, trying Mm -hmm. to make them distinct because when I started sharing like really early pages with some of my critique partners, almost uniformly, everybody told me this is confusing, pick one character and write from their perspective. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. That's my vision for the story is all for, but I understand what you're telling me is that the voices are not distinct enough. So that's what I'm going to work on. So I spent a lot of time with like mm-hmm. character worksheets and I would do like interviewing them and I would try and think of every little detail about them. And then I would write like little sections in all the four different voices and try to think about how is this different when Addie says it? How is it different when Cooper says it? And then I made playlists for all of them with like very different music that kind of represented them in my mind. And that's what I would listen to when I read them. And so eventually I think I did get to the point where they felt distinct enough from each other that it was no longer hard to follow them. Or at least if it was a little hard in the beginning, you were invested enough that you would keep going. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, something Maggie and I talk a lot about on the podcast is uh, not only were in the first book, the first four characters written. So in a way that it just made easy to follow because they all had such distinct voices, but then it got even more impressive when we shift gears to add three more perspectives in the third book. Why not? (laughs) I know now we have seven main characters that like are all very distinct and unique individuals. Um, But when you even get to the third book, now you're juggling between kind of managing the relationships and dynamic between all seven of these main characters. So I guess, how did you focus on managing to give everybody enough focus um, and to make both yourself and the audience feel like you were you were doing good by everyone to give everybody a little spotlight moment here and there? That was my, I felt like that was the biggest challenge and yeah. one of us was back because the cast got so big. And first <laughs> of all, you know, you, you can't have everyone come back as a point of view character. And yeah. I knew somebody was going to be disappointed that their favorite wasn't there, you know, and, and I'm a little disappointed that I couldn't write from everyone's perspective, but it wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. And so I really tried to focus on who has the biggest stakes in this yeah. story. And for that, you know, it was definitely Phoebe because I mm-hmm. left her on a cliffhanger the previous book is definitely Addie because spoiler, you know, in terms of, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. I won't spoil it. <laughs> but it's definitely Addie. Yeah, yeah. And then with Nate, I just felt like he had the most, the furthest still to go on his character journey. Like he'd come mm-hmm. so far, but when I left him and one of us is lying, he was, he was probably the, the, the least far along in terms of figuring out his life, you know, yeah. just because he had so much going on. Um, so I felt like there was a lot more that I could do with him. Mm-hmm. So I set those three, but then I thought, well, God, I got to obviously have plenty of Bronwyn because everybody needs Bronwyn and Nate. <laughs> and I've got to have Maeve because she's everyone's favorite little sleuth. And, you know, we got to make sure that Cooper and Chris get some time and we get updates on what Cooper's doing in baseball. Mm-hmm. And I, I left Knox and Phoebe kind of, uh, you know, uncertain. I got to work them in. Oh, and by the way, Chris and Luis are here and we should <laughs> make sure that they have something to do. So it it was challenging and it wasn't well balanced initially in my outline and I had to kind of go back and figure out like who's who's getting a short shrift here and, and how can I give them more to do yeah, yeah. if is you there... oh sorry go ahead Meg no you go I was going I was to say because because off of that is that if you could have put like a fourth point of view in the third book is that the question you're gonna ask yeah, Meg exactly. who, would you, who would you have picked for like okay just by my standards of you know, who you love writing as or writing for, who would you have put in that fourth book? Probably um, either Bronwyn or Maeve. You know, it yeah. doesn't a hundred percent. You know, I, I was like, is it really a one of us book without a Rojas point of view? I don't know that that there does something that feels like a little bit wrong about that Mm -hmm. um so I I would have added I think one of those two in Um, I actually think it worked fine without them because again like stakes wise they were kind of in good places and I wasn't ready to put Maeve like through her paces again she just been through the ringer you know and and one of us is next and she was kind of like resolved and and Bronwyn too she's kind of like on her path you know she's she knows what she wants there's less internal conflict mm-hmm. for her than with Nate. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with the the three you picked in the third book. I just actually finished it today on my lunch break. And I was like, this was this was a great choice. I, I will personally say. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad it worked for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it moved really well. And yeah. I mean, the 
twists in the end. I feel like once you always get to there, you, you've built up the world so well that it just makes the like last 50 pages, you go through it so fast and then you're yeah. like, more. I more. need more. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess piggybacking off of like the last question then, what were some of the characters that you found you either loved writing or were really difficult for you to write when you started conceiving this idea? Nobody was hard to write. That was the great thing about returning to this world is that I know them so well that mm -hmm. everybody flowed really easily. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were some people who surprised me. I had a ton of fun writing the side character of Vanessa, you know, <laughs> who plays a bigger role in yeah. this book than, you know, she, she wasn't present at all in One of Us is Next. And I had mm -hmm. wanted to bring her back. I had a role for her then. And then I ended up cutting it because it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So, but, but in this book, I feel like she worked and, and she was a lot of fun to write. So, so I really enjoyed getting to know her a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, and I really, really loved writing Addie. I think mm -hmm. Addie's always going to have yeah. just such a special place in my heart. Like her character and her arc and her journey are so important to me. And I know mm -hmm. they're really important to readers also. So to give her, you know, again, no spoilers. But I really like how her story concluded for now. Yeah. Yeah. That was, to me, that felt like really good and right. And I was glad to be able to put her in that place because she's been through a lot, you know, yeah. and she, and she goes through a lot in this book. Yeah, no, I, I think Maggie and I talk about this a lot. I think we both really, really just like love Addie as a character because it's just such a good good just shift on growth over time. Um, mm -hmm. Continuing on the topic of writing, I want to talk about your best practice for writing a mystery. Did you start from the end? Like most people say you should write mysteries of like, this is the answer and then work backwards. Or did you kind of try to just start the story and see where it took you? With this story, it was really interesting and it was unusual because the whole genesis for this story, when, you know, people kept asking me, will I write a third? And I was like, nah, I'm done. And then I thought about some more. I was like, well, maybe I'm not done. Um, and there was a plot thread that I had to cut out of One of Us is Lying mm -hmm. because it was very distracting to the main plot. And it had to do with explaining the motivations and the backstory of the antagonist. Um, and so I thought this was vital to the story and I must have it, but it, it completely sucked the energy away from the main story in a very mm -hmm. bad way. And so my agent said, well, you should cut it out and just make sure that you make this person into the kind of person who would do this. And then you don't mm -hmm. have to have all the other stuff. And I think that worked really well. But in my mind, there was always more to the story. Like it was always part of the Bayview DNA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking, well, is there a story there? Could that sustain a book? I don't know, maybe. Um, so I started brainstorming around that. Like, what would that mystery be if I pull out that little thread and try to weave it into something bigger? What does that look like? And so it was a lot of like brainstorming and outlining and stress testing with my agent. Like, is this enough? Is this a full story? Yeah. Um, before we got to the point where we thought, yeah, we think we can make a book out of this. Um, yeah. So that's different than what I typically do is like, I get some 
what I would call like a big idea. It's like a hooky idea, like the breakfast club with murder, but I don't know what it means. <laughs> and then I start thinking, okay, well, who's in the room? Who would be involved in something like this? And I start thinking about characters and then I drill down into what the actual plot is. Mm-hmm. So it's like hook character plot is how mm-hmm. I typically do it. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I really like that. And I feel yeah. like too, with like murder mystery, there's so many different paths. Yeah. That- it can take do you think you like ever wrote yourself into kind of a situation in the story that you weren't really quite sure what would come next or like how to get yourself out of the problem I did that constantly with my second book to complete the secret (laughs) which I ended up rewriting three times yeah I kept I didn't know at the time, honestly, like how to write a murder mystery. Like one of us is lying was a bolt of lightning just came to me all at once, super fast, got it down mm-hmm. and it did really well. And I thought, look at me, I'm so good at books. But <laughs> the reality was it was a different kind of book. It was like a little kernel, you know, it needed like sun and light and time. And I didn't give it that because I was trying to like shove it into <laughs> the same pipeline as one of us is lying and it didn't work. Yeah. So I that changed my process forever because I, I battled that book alone feeling like I had to figure it out. You know, I did not ask for help with my agent, my editor. I did eventually, but not soon enough, not before I had already written it twice and it was terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I got some help to like step back and let's do an outline. What a novel thought. Why don't we try that and see if it helps? Um, And it helps so much. Yeah. So now I always outline. I always like, get really, really detailed about how people get into situations. How do they get out of the situations? Mm-hmm. Even though a lot of that does change, I need to be sure that I understand how I'm going to move the chess pieces around the board. Yeah. Well, I think too, your second book, when I was looking it up, it came out in like t- 2020 and then the subsequent, the new one came out in 2023 and we are in lockdown. So I'm sure a lot of like writing your book was... Yeah kind of alone and maybe it was like hard at points to like get yourself out of your head was it kind of cathartic like to spend a little bit of the pandemic like writing these books and like especially your third one that's coming out yeah it was really nice to go back to the world Mm -hmm. of Bayview during such a tumultuous time Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote the book pretty much I think mostly in 2021 Mm-hmm. a lot of it in 2021 yeah so it, it was kind of you know during that grind time when mm-hmm. we're all worn down and things yeah. are still very uncertain and it was very comforting to be in that world um, with characters I knew very well and I didn't have to do a lot of the heavy lifting that I do with characters because the thing about writing multi-POV right is like at least two maybe three times you got to come up with stakes and goals and backstories and a meaningful character arc for multiple people and I was really drained after doing that for Mm -hmm. you know kind of like the fourth time in a row with nothing more to tell and so it was really nice to go back into series mode and um at least have a little familiarity yeah Yeah. um did you ever like have any strategy for coming up with higher and higher stakes as you went through building this series? Uh, Cause something else Maggie and I talk about a lot where it's just like, we feel like you are able to just 
say like, okay, yeah, first one, just like school-wide murder. Second one, uh, now it's a school-wide truth or dare game. You, you're very good at um, escalating at, over time and also throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess what, what was the strategy for how, how do I make this bigger? <laughs> I would love to say there was a strategy that makes me sound very smart. There was not, you know, I don't recommend writing a series the way I wrote a series, which is as a bunch of standalones, you know, yeah. and then never actually being ready to write the next book because <laughs> you write yourself into corners sometimes and you're like, well, now what? I said they're going to be here and they can't be there. Right, so like there was a bomb. It. What next? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I did not, you know, do nearly as much planning in terms of how the books could connect as I would have and how they would build on each other as I would have if I had conceived this as a trilogy from the start. But having said that, you know, I do feel like the books work as a whole. And at least with the last one, you know, I was able to kind of go back to, okay, well, I already did this. I already did this. Like for this one, clearly we got to bring everyone together. That's already going to feel bigger. You know, that's already going to feel, I think like a little bit higher stakes and that we've come to really know and love all of these characters. And essentially they're all kind of imperiled in different ways in this book. Mm -hmm. You obviously, since it being a murder mystery book, um, have a lot of plot twists and um, loopholes that made us gasp when we were reading it. Um, was there ever like a plot twist that when it came to you, you were like, oh my goodness, and you got so excited writing about? Yeah, it was um, the very last one. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah that was not yeah. my original outline. And then oh, I was wow. writing it and I was like, oh, you know, it would make this like a million times worse is <laughs> <As laughs> if I did X. And that's always the greatest feeling yeah. when you realize you're just going to be more evil and, um, you know, hopefully more surprising than yeah. uh, than you originally intended. Oh yeah, we yeah. were definitely sending texts. Third, back third book finale it. is like the like the yeah like firework finale of like a series. Right? I, was like, <laughs> I had no idea what was going to happen, and when I got there, I was like, "Well, gotta finish this immediately. Like, I have to know how this ends." Yeah. And yeah. again, like, you know, this was something that was in my mind back in 2015, yeah. but not that last bit. Like I did not go there. Wow. I, I ended it at the, at the moment before that, yeah. you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that was a new little twist that, that got added on in 2021. And, yeah. you know, I think it, it really worked. Yeah, no, it's so cool to think that it's like, great, this was a part of your like initial draft and it just didn't make sense there. But in the in the world of a, a th- like a another book, it finally makes sense in the circumstance that you put it in. So it's kind of cool that like you did get a payoff from all the work that you put in initially to that ultimate twist in the third book. <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah. goes to show like nothing's wasted. You yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. Um, Something I wanted to ask is because I am such a firm believer that in any type of media, it is so hard to write or put technology in as a factor because oftentimes in books or in TV shows, it just becomes like a, like a, a just like a weird thing on the screen or just feels like it was included because it's of the times. And I feel like a lot of times now we see something in the, it's, it's post-apocalypse or it's in the nineties because there's not really cell phones, but you right. really, really <laughs> well included technology as like a way to drive the plot 
forward, uh, whether it was the Tumblr or like the mass group chat or the Instagrams and the TikToks or the digital billboard. That's another piece of technology. <laughs> Did you ever like grapple with even making that decision that technology was going to help the story rather than hinder it? Or were you were you on the fence about including it? Or were you just like, this is it's of the time I have to include it? Yeah, I did worry initially because, you know, I was just sort of doing lots of research about writing contemporary and reading a lot mm -hmm. and hearing from people who said, well, I don't put technology in my books because it's going to date them. Yeah. And I was like, well, that makes sense. I understand that. But also, I feel like I need it. And I think it's okay for a book to be of its moment, you know, yeah. um, I, I'm okay with that. So I sort of made the decision that if if I use Tumblr in 2015 and nobody uses it in 2025, I am okay with that. That's fine. Um, and also, you know, I'm, I'm trying to reflect the lives of my readers and I know how plugged in they are. You know, I know what they use. I talk to family members and kids in my neighborhood all the time. So it just felt like I wasn't going to be reflecting their world as accurately as I could if yeah. I didn't you know, try to make it a big part of the stories. But also there's that fine line where you want to reflect the kids' experience, but knowing that half your audience is adults, like you don't want to you know, confuse them. People who might never use Snapchat or, yeah. you know, just, just trying not to go too far into the weeds with something so that, you know, your audience kind of generally understands where you're going with this, but they don't necessarily have to know the like nitty gritty of all of it. Yeah. Yeah, like I feel like um, obviously you have like a timestamp on it in the sense of like there's, you know, the Bayview 2020 username, you use TikTok, which is like undeniably of its time. Um, and I think that that's like one of the things I really appreciated with your writing is like how you wrote teenagers in an incredibly adult way, but it never felt like it's like pandering. Um, obviously we mm -hmm. read a lot of the young adult novels mm -hmm. and like we can tell when it is an adult writing a teenager. And I never like really felt like that with you. Like mostly I'm thinking of in the second book when Knox's whole secret is like, he can't get a boner. Or and not. it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now we're like adults. We're like, that doesn't matter. But in high school, it was like such a life or death situation, especially for like men, if things like mm -hmm. that got out. So how did you kind of manage to write like a teenage lifestyle in a way that didn't feel like someone who was pandering to a young adult audience? I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad it came across that way. I think I just really do try to respect and meet my audience where they are. You know, I'm, I'm pretty easily able to put myself into my own mindset of what I was like back then. I don't know, I, I may have never left that headspace fully, <laughs> but it, it's easy for me to slip back into, you know, 17 year old me and mm -hmm. think about the things that I care about, even though I, I realize now that maybe I didn't need to care quite so much, um, but, but that's still something I can access pretty easily. Um, and then I, you know, I just listen to the kids around me and mm -hmm. surround myself with my audience. I like young adults, you know, I like the kids in my neighborhood who used to help me with my son when he was little. And, you know, I've seen them grown up and I like talking to them about their dreams and their fears and what they're worried about, what they like. And that time of life is just inherently really interesting to me. And so I just yeah. try to reflect that you know, the way your emotions are just like really close to the surface and everything matters and a lot of things are new and that is just going to heighten 
so much of what you're doing and saying and thinking. And if you couple that, as I try to do with a high stakes plot, you know, you can just get a lot of emotion and a lot of depth to the character's feelings. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want to piggyback off of that because in this interview that you gave um, for a book site, and I don't remember the name, I feel really bad, um, but you had a quote that I really loved and it was like how thrillers give teens kind of like a safe space to experience and process the whole world we're living through right now. And I think it is really scary for them. And I think that it is problems that are so unique to their generation. Um, And I was just kind of like wondering what sort of problems do you think that teenagers face that are wholly unique to their generation? And what problems do you think they face now that are just kind of universal amongst people who go through teendom? Yeah. um, Well, I think, you know, when I think of what the, the young people that, you know, I know and care about are worried about, they are deeply worried about climate change. You know, they're deeply worried about the political schism we have happening right now in the country. They're worried about people losing rights, you know, which was not something that I worried about as a kid. I thought, you know, kind of naively, we're just constantly making progress and it's getting better and better and better. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be the case lately. Um, So that's weighing on everybody's mind, you know, Mm -hmm. just the injustice, inequality, unfairness. And then I think sort of universally, you know, everybody is grappling with where's my place in the world? Mm -hmm. You know, like, am I, what do I believe? Do I believe the things I was raised with? Um, Mm -hmm. Does that resonate with me? You know, um, am I surrounded with good influences or are, you know, the the people that I'm friendly with, um, maybe they don't support me or Mm -hmm. accept me as I am. Is that something I need to change? How do I change it? So there, those yeah. things don't change, yeah. but, you know, the kind of the ecosystem that we're in now, I do think it's a, it's a really specific moment in time that is scary. Yeah. Um, and people ask me sometimes like, well, writing, you know, murder for teens or dark book for teens, is that too dark? And I just think, I don't know. I think reality is pretty dark yeah. and mm-hmm. I don't write anything graphic. That's not my style. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a place for almost every level of literature and young adult because mm-hmm. people have such vast experiences. And if a kid has gone through something, they deserve to see that on the page. Yeah. And yeah. I do think it gives kids a safe space to kind of experience this fear and this tension and process it like at their own pace. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, I mean, I think there are those moments that, you know, it's a fun book to get like really wrapped up in. And then there's ones that like really resonate um, with people who have like struggles of like, you know, controlling first boyfriends as a thing. And I also think, um, oh, how you handled like Cooper and like being outed as like a gay Mm -hmm. person. I, I thought that was such a palpable fear that you can have at like any age of like yeah my parents have an image of me maybe I don't live up to it um, yeah so I feel like I mean it's it's definitely like stories that can last and span at any point mm-hmm. in time definitely yeah I hope so thank you yeah um I want to tap back in because we were talking about um you know we have an audience of young readers and adult readers so I want to I want to hear a little bit about your point of view of what what was it like when you found out one of us is lying was being adapted into a television show? Yeah, well, that actually happened before. Well, it started before it came out. Oh, so, really? Um, 
Yeah, my agent, unbeknownst to me, um, because she, you know, didn't want to like get my hopes up, but she <laughs> passed the book along to a film agent who she works with. And she, because she felt like it had film potential, you know, yeah. but she didn't know if he was going to feel the same way. And if he did feel the same way, if he was going to be able to, you know, find anyone else who was interested, because mm -hmm. that's sort of how it goes, you know, like a film agent takes it out to studios yeah. and production companies, and they might be like, Nah, not interested. Mm -hmm. um, so he did that for a while. And mm -hmm. um, then when he got some interest from a couple of producers, that's when my my book agent made the introduction between me and him. I didn't even know I had a film agent at the time. <laughs> and she was like, surprise, you have a film agent. And also, he has some people who are interested in one of us is lying. Um, so I had a conversation with them and they were not really a production company. They were not mm -hmm. a studio. They were more interested in kind of like putting the deal together type of thing. So okay. I'm like, okay, sure. Um, so they started having some conversations and then the book came out and it did really well. And all of a sudden people started contacting me. So Universal actually contacted me mm -hmm. um, like through my, my contact form on my website. You know? and so I like passed that along. Um, to the people who are already working on this. And, you know, ultimately that's sort of how it came about. But I think we, um, I think we announced it in like the fall of 2017, but we'd been talking about it since um, like early that spring. Oh, wow. And then yeah. of course it took four years to get to, yeah, because <laughs> to get the screen, which is not long yeah. <laughs> in the scheme of things. But, you know, as someone who, had no prior experience with the process. Yeah. I did not know what to expect in, in that regard. Wow. Did you ever, when you were writing this, like even consider it would turn into like something like TV or film, or did you ever envision it? Like when writing it, you're like, I could see this as a, as a film scene or something. <laughs> I, I mean, I could, you know, I thought it had film potential, yeah. you know, and yeah. I, it just to me it felt very visual and the characters felt very vivid and mm -hmm. but you know I didn't even know if I was going to get an agent so that definitely felt yeah. like <laughs> yeah like a very like, far away one dream. Thing first and then we can yeah, <laughs> yeah. we can get this thing published first of all but but I did always think it had potential and mm -hmm. you know there was one point after I got my agent and my editor and I had done a first pass on the editing and my editor was amazing and she really helped me tighten up the book a lot and I was feeling really good about it mm -hmm. and I said to my sister you know I think this could actually be something like I think this this could really be a thing yeah and I don't typically say stuff like that. Yeah. I'm very much like, hedge your bets, wait and see. Yeah. But it really did feel like special to me. And mm -hmm. it's funny. I was reading Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle mm -hmm. Zevin, which is a wonderful book. And it's about game developers. It's so And they good. develop a book. Yeah, yeah they, they develop a game, you know. And yeah. at one point, they're like, I think we really did something here. And I was like, oh, my God. That's, you know. I feel like you kind of know when yeah. you make something that has the potential for a lot of people to love it. It doesn't mean it's going to get in front of the right people. It doesn't mean your timing is going to be there, but mm -hmm. I did feel like there was something special about it. Yeah. Um, That's such a good feeling. Too. That is such a good feeling. Yeah. yeah. It's a wonderful feeling. And it's even better when, you know, all the chips fall in the right way yeah. and yeah. it actually, it actually works out. Exactly. So based on when this episode is coming out, uh, one of us is next just came out. And I was wondering, do you have like any big plans for promoting the book or um, any like fun news about where you might be promoting it for your fans? 
Yeah, so I am going to be on tour for One of Us is Back starting um, the night of its release. I'll be in my hometown in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and then I'm kind of heading down the East Coast uh, through July with stops in um, Rhode Island and Delaware and New York and New Jersey and Florida. And then I'm heading over to the West Coast and doing a couple of events in California and Seattle. Um then I'm going home for a little bit. Then I'm going to be at the National Book Fair in Washington, D.C. Um, oh. in early, well, sort of mid-August. I think it's the 12th. And then I head to London. And I'm going to spend a week in England doing events with my U.K. publisher. So I'll be there in mid-August. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's a great, like, next month of planning. That sounds yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah. there's It's, it's exciting because yeah. yeah, this is a, a big moment wrapping yeah. up this book. And it's nice to know that I'll get a chance to talk to a lot of readers and a lot of fellow authors about it. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious because you said you're going to the UK and you said earlier that <laughs> in your um, bookcase you have the international books. How many languages has the series been published in? 42. Oh, wow. Wow. That's nuts. That's pretty exciting. That's cool. <laughs> Congratulations. That's awesome. They're, they're organized behind me in alphabetical order by country. So it's at the moment, it's oh, Albania cool. to Vietnam. <laughs> wow. That's oh, so awesome. Um, well, speaking of, I know this this third book, as we as we have said, ends with a a big big like spoiler, but it also really ends with a a very uh great moment between anyone to kind of tie up some loose ends that that might have existed throughout the series. But do you ever think that you might come back to Bayview in a in a fourth book, or or do you think you're gonna be focusing on on other things for now? Um, you know, I wouldn't rule it out. I would say yeah. that Simon's story is done. There's yeah. nothing more to say about what started that day in detention. This fully finishes that story. But I could see coming back to these characters at some point. I think of it kind of like, you know, Maureen Johnson's Truly Devious trilogy, mm -hmm. where she's got the three books that are one continuous mystery, but then she's kind of followed the characters with some standalones. Yeah, I, I'm not planning it. I don't want to say that. I don't have a story idea. I yeah. haven't, you know, made any plans to do that, <laughs> but I could see it. I would not rule it out. Yeah. Cause they're so fun to write. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, they're, they're fun, fun to read. read. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you taking, so are you taking a break from writing for now just to kind of reap the benefits of having your most recent pu book published or is there like anything that you're kind of scheming on or working on? In yeah. the meantime. I'm putting the finishing touches on my eighth book, which is going to be coming out next summer, uh, wow. July, I think, 2024. Wow. And that is another standalone mystery, dual points of view. And I don't think I can say much about it yet, but it's going to be, I'm pretty sure we'll start talking about that in the fall. Cool. But after that, I don't know. After that, I actually am taking a little breather you know, <laughs> yeah. and figure out what's next. It has been a ton of fun churning out eight books in eight years. Um, yeah. But I also could use a little downtime. Yeah. And I think, I yeah. think you've earned it. Definitely. Yeah, after eight years, I, I agree. You need, you need a little downtime, especially if a lot of them have so many, uh, the amount of like mysteries too. I can only imagine. Oh yeah. What's, the mysteries and the characters. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, 19 point of view characters or something. Yeah. A lot of people have been living in my head in the past 
several yeah. years. Yeah, so now you can trying sp- to clear them out a little bit. Yeah, just be, <laughs> just be clear spend, for a little bit. Yeah, you can spend <laughs> nine to midnight sleeping and six a.m. sleeping too. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, Karen, I think that's every big, big question we wanted to ask you. But um, to, I guess, wrap up this episode, we'd love to know where everybody listening can keep track of you, follow you, and uh, learn what is coming next. Yeah, so I'm most active on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I'm writerkmc there. That's the best place to follow me for updates. I do still maintain a presence on Twitter, um, same name, but I just don't spend very much time there anymore. And I've started to dip into the new threads, but I'm not sure yet if if that's going to stick. So Instagram is the best place. Awesome. Awesome. Well, great. Uh, thank you again so much, Karen. We we really appreciate you uh, coming in and talking to us about this entire um, three three book series. Uh, we had the best time reading it. So again, we just really appreciate it. It was cool to get to talk to you and learn a, bit, a little bit more about the process. Yeah. Yeah. Great talking to you both. And thanks for focusing on the series. Uh, yeah. It's really fun. So I'm glad that uh, you've been doing your deep dive and I'm <laughs> glad we had a chance to talk at the at the end of it. Well, awesome. Thank you. Um, Maggie, any closing thoughts from you? Nope. I was just going to say, if you want to keep up with our deep dives on Karen's uh, One of Us is Lying series, you can find us on Twitter and TikTok at Yahweh Reddit, on Instagram at Maggie underscore and underscore Laura. Um, You can also email us at Maggie and Laura present at gmail.com. And And yes, you can. And that's going to be it for season 11. Uh, And we'll, I guess, see you for season 12, which will be coming later this year. Um, Thank you all for listening and goodbye.